Welcome back to the Ask Us Anything podcast. My name is Dave and I'm the host for this podcast. And today Adam writes in and he asks, Dave, I've been studying the topic of spiritual warfare for a while, but I'm wondering if you could answer my question. And my question is this, what exactly is the importance of spiritual warfare and spiritual growth in the Christian life? Well, Adam, you ask a wonderful question and I I just want to thank you um, for the way that you've worded this question. It really helped to um, answer it uh, right off the top. See, spiritual warfare is vitally important in the in the world of spiritual warfare. With the increase of New Age thinking, atheism, Satanism, and a, and a growing interest in the occult worldwide, the need for Christians to understand what spiritual warfare is has never been greater. Spiritual warfare is becoming an increasingly confusing topic to study as Christians have a variety of views on the topic, some of which are biblical, but most of which are not. The classical view of spiritual warfare that the church is held to is defined by repentance, by faith, and by obedience to the Word of God. The classical mode of spiritual warfare is evangelism, discipleship, and personal growth that follows the pattern of the Lord Jesus facing Satan in the desert. The the textbooks for spiritual warfare in this mode have been Proverbs, the way Jesus addressed moral evil, and the teaching of the New Testament epistles. Puritan pastoral theologians wrote frequently and with great depth on spiritual warfare. And as they wrote about Scripture, the devil, about human nature, they were alert to this incredible incredible evil and the deceptive condition of mankind. The Puritans were not demythologized moderns. They lived in a spirit-filled world, and they were well aware of spiritual warfare. They saw the combat, the snares, the deceits, and the schemes of the devil. Books in print from Puritans after over 300 years include Thomas Brooks' Precious Remedies Against Satan Devices, John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress in Holy War, and William Grinnell's The Christian in Complete Armor. Ephesians 6, 10-20 gives the best explanation of the classical mode of spiritual warfare. Reliance on the power and the protection of God, embracing the Word of God, specific obedience, fervent and focused prayer, and the aid of fellow Christians. Spiritual warfare against the power of evil is a matter of consistently and repeatedly turning from darkness to the light in the midst of the assailing darkness. Christians fight spiritual warfare by repentance, by faith, and by obedience. Recognizing the powerful influence of Satan and sin within the human heart, classical mode, pastor theologians call for biblical sanctification. Ephesians 6, 10 through 18 gives the best introduction here on the topic of spiritual warfare. Ephesians 6, 10 through 20 describes the whole armor of God. And in this section, Paul concludes his exhortations with instructions to Christians. His imagery is a sustained portrayal of the Christian life as spiritual warfare using the Lord's resources. After all, Paul opens his section in Ephesians 6, 10 through 13 by introducing the armor of God and focusing on the strength it gives. Ephesians 6.10, the word be strong is the Greek word endotosia, and it emphasizes that the Christian cannot stand against spiritual, supernatural human powers, but must rely on the strength of the Lord's own might, which the Lord supplies through prayer. And the Greek word for the phrase whole armor, panopalia, it refers to the complete equipment of a fully armed soldier, consisting of both shields and weapons like those described in verses 16 through 17 of Ephesians 6. Paul's description here drives primarily on the Old Testament allusions, and yet terms used also overlap well with Roman weaponry, especially the terms 
for the large door-shaped shield and the short stabbing sword. Invisible portraits of such weaponry can be found on numerous reliefs throughout the Roman Empire. The word schemes is the word Greek word methodias. In Ephesians 6.11, it exposes the diabolical origin of the deceitful schemes of those teaching false doctrine. Ephesians 6.10 gives a list of the spiritual rulers, the authorities, the cosmic powers. It gives a sobering glimpse of the devil's allies, the spiritual forces of evil who are powerful in their exercise of cosmic powers over this present darkness. See, scripture makes it clear that the enemy host is no match for the Lord, who Colossians 2.15 and Ephesians 1.19-21 has disarmed the rulers and the authorities and has put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. The therefore in Ephesians 6.13 means that the Christian's enemies are superhuman spiritual forces. Mere human resources will not work, which is why one must take up the whole armor of God. And this is why the divine armor and the sword of the Spirit belong to the Lord himself and to his Messiah, and are made available today for Christians through Christ alone. Along with the stand in Ephesians 6.11, Christians are to withstand the enemy and to stand firm. And in Ephesians 6.13, Paul portrays Christians as soldiers in a battle line, holding fast against the enemy's charge. Paul in Ephesians 6.16 identifies this whole age as evil's days, and yet the outbreak of the satanic onslaught against Christ's people ebbs and flows throughout this era until the final day when the Lord of hosts will return in power and great glory to rend the heavens and to rescue his people forever. Ephesians 6, 1-17 through teaches that the Christian teaches the Christian what it means to stand firm. And there Paul reiterates the charge to stand in the face of the dreaded spiritual enemies because the Lord has not left his people defenseless. They have the complete armor of God from head to foot, which consists of the belt, the breastplate, the shoes, the shield, the helmet, and the sword. These are metaphors for the spiritual resources given to them in Christ, namely the truth, righteousness, gospel, faith, salvation, and the word of God. And in Ephesians 6.14, Paul, with a rousing order, stand, urges the Ephesians to withstand the enemy and not to give in to fear. Paul exhorts his readers to always be ready to proclaim the gospel in Ephesians 6.15. And in Ephesians 6.17, the flaming darts are the burning arrows designed to destroy the wooden shields and other defenses, but the shield of faith is able to extinguish the devil's attacks. You see, the spiritual nature of the church's resource is nowhere more plain than its reliance upon God's word, which is the only offensive weapon mentioned in this list of spiritual warfare. The word of God is to be wielded like a sharp two-edged sword in the mighty power of God the Holy Spirit. Paul, in Ephesians 6, 18-20, is teaching about being constant in prayer. This section offers instruction on prayer. The main weapon here is spiritual warfare and explains how and for and to whom we should pray. The weapons for warfare are spiritual because they are rooted in prayer, which is Christ's most powerful resource. Prayer is to permeate Christians' lives as a universal practice, as seen by the use of all four times in this verse, at all times, with all prayer, with all perseverance, and for all the saints. Prayer in the Spirit is a form of worship, John 4, 23-24 says, enabled by the Spirit of God who intercedes on behalf of the person praying. So, the general character of the Christian's 
prayer life is described in the following way in Ephesians 6.18. First of all, all prayer and supplication focuses on the variety. Second, always focuses on the frequency. In the Spirit, focuses on submission as we line up with the will of God. And being watchful focuses on the manner. All perseverance focuses on the persistence, and all saints focuses on the objects. You see, as technology continues to increase, along with a growing interest in atheism, Satanism, and every other ism, the Christian needs to learn that they live in a world that is not only rapidly changing, but one where they are in a war for the souls of mankind. The reality of this war has already been described when we talked about this as we examined Ephesians 6, 10-18 very briefly. The reality is that many Christians rely too much on themselves and not enough on the grace of God. But Paul clearly calls Christians in Ephesians 6, 10-18 to stand firm, not in their own efforts or their own ability, but in the grace of God. As our culture becomes less identified as Christian and more identified with secular philosophy, the believer will need to learn the importance and the role of spiritual warfare and spiritual growth as we've talked about it today. And the only way to fight against Satan, his minions, and sin is through the classical mode of spiritual warfare. In a culture that rejects truth and has abandoned its moral foundation, there is even more reason today than ever for Christians to stand firm in the grace of God. The Christian is engaged in a war because of the identity they have in Christ. Satan despises, he rejects, and he counters every single action of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, that they take to redeem man from sin. The truth then is that while the Christian is engaged in a war, the Lord has redeemed man from sin. The truth is that while the Christian is engaged in a war, The Lord has not left his children without tools to fight against Satan, his minions, and sin. And the tools Jesus has given the Christian are his work, the Holy Spirit, the church, brothers and sisters in Christ, and the ability to come boldly before God in prayer. See, the reality of the war for the souls of mankind is real, and so is the tools the Lord has given his children. When the Christian stands firm in the grace of God, because of the work of Jesus, the finished work of Jesus, and the sufficient work of Jesus on the cross, no weapon formed against them will prosper. Satan is a defeated foe because of Christ alone. Jesus has disarmed the forces of Satan through his death, burial, and resurrection, Colossians 1 tells us. The gospel is good news because as Christians engage in a sinful world, Christ is with them. Christians are not attacked as if they are on an island. Rather, they are attacked because of one's identity with their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The Christian can then rest in the fact that as they rest and stand firm in the grace of God, the Lord will guard and protect them. True effectiveness for Jesus and his glory rests in reliance upon the grace of God in all things. I want to thank you for listening to this episode of the Ask Us Anything podcast. And I want to thank Adam for the great question that you asked. Thank you, Adam. If you enjoyed this episode, would you consider checking out checking us out at servantsofgrace.org? There you'll find a, a lot of five years worth of issues of our online magazine, Theology for Life. Our other podcast, Equipping You in Grace. We're also going through the Gospel of John on our Servants of Grace feed, um, which you can find on iTunes and any other feed. We're starting this this week will have started a new series on the Sermon on the Mount, um, a blog series through this, that great section of Jesus's teaching. And we have great reviews um, that come out each week, articles outside of series, these podcasts. I want to, I just want to encourage you to go there and, and to, to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord. We have a variety of writers um, from all over the world and people come here from all over the world on Servants of Grace. So I commend that to you, those resources. Um, until next time, may the Lord richly bless you and keep you.